right. Thank you very All much. Right. There goes Rodney. And here comes Doc Trey for a little midday with Trey and BK. What's up, big dog? Not a lot. How you doing? Good. You know, after the Cowboys let me down yesterday, I went back and rewatched game five of the World Series. And that had me feeling really, really good once again. That's just what I'm going to do. Whenever I'm sad in this life from here on out, I'm going to watch game five of the 2023 World Series, and that'll just make everything go away. We all need that something, right? And unfortunately for me, watching my teams win championships, like going back and rewatching the... 2005 national championship game or game five from last week that doesn't cut it for me i don't know why i don't know if it's because i need to not know what's about to happen to truly enjoy the sport in the moments but i'm much better off going and watching old episodes of curb your enthusiasm than i am watching my team win a championship there's, there's probably some broken part of my brain there's lots of broken parts of my brain <laughs> yeah probably, probably some part of my about. brain that is extremely broken that keeps me from being able to enjoy that yeah there's definitely a part of your brain that's broken that keeps you from being able to enjoy that there are multiple parts of your brain that are definitely broken anybody who's listened to you for one minute i think has been able to figure that one out yeah um speaking of championships come on you call yourself the nick saban of cedar park volleyball coaches you had a championship second and third grade girls volleyball i don't call myself that other people call me that you're the only person i've ever heard call yourself that well how else are you hanging around second and third grade girls volleyball games in cedar park oh yeah definitely not happening with that stash where do you think i was after our pregame show you were doing pregame at crown and anchor i know where you were well after that I wouldn't seen from or heard from. So <laughs> had some volleyball to watch. What happened on Saturday? Did you uh did you get the dub? Nick Saban doesn't win it all every year, and neither does the Nick Saban of second and third grade girls volleyball in Cedar Park. We fell a little short, lost in the semifinals to the one team that I thought would be our greatest competition this season. And that's how it goes sometimes. And the girls who were a part of the team who were on the court there throughout the course of the afternoon, because we had won, we hadn't lost a game and the the matches were best of three and we had gone two and oh, two and oh, two and oh. And if we could have gone two and oh, or even two and one, we would have made it to the championship. And I know we would beat the team that we played in the finals. I know that because the team that beat us ended up winning it all, but it didn't happen more lessons to be uh, to be had in losses than wins. But ultimately, it was disappointing for the girls. But we're going to get back out there next season, the spring season. We're going to work on some things, and we're going to win it all then. Uh, what are you, Jim Harbaugh, losing in the semifinal every year? Come on, dude. You're not not every year. We made it to the finals last year, so we're, mm. uh, we're right there on the cusp. What happened? Who do we blame for your team coming up short? Because there's no way you're going to take the blame on yourself blame me on the coach there's things that we didn't work on enough during practice and they were situations situational plays that i think i would have had this team better prepared and we would have ended up winning so i put i put the blame squarely on myself some rumors about the the team y'all lost to some doping perhaps going on here Mm, that is very prevalent among second and third grade volleyball teams up in the Cedar Park area, I've been told. Second and third grade. So I think other teams were guilty of having fourth and fifth graders on their roster. 
when it's hard to call BS in the middle of a tournament like that. But I think this team played it pretty straight. There wasn't any sign stealing going on. This team just uh, did more of what it took to win the championship. They got more serves over. They had We had some back and forth rallies where they ended up the beneficiary of that point. And they just, they did more of what it takes to win at that level, which is get serves over. And when the bumping back and forth happen, happens, being the final team to bump the ball over the net. And just sometimes there's a little bit of luck there too, but ultimately they were the better team over the course of those two games. Like we didn't even win a game against this team. That's part of what was disappointing. And the girls were disappointed afterwards too, but we always have next season, right? It's nice to know that Ron McKelvey has a daughter. Said he had some roster imposter stuff going on with those girls. That means his girl was involved in that league somehow. Dude, there are some girls on other teams, not the team that we lost to on other teams. I'm not even kidding you. They were like, a head length or two taller than anybody else on the court. It's like, all right, I realize that growth spurts happen in waves and not everybody gets that growth spurt at the same time, but this kid has to be in fourth or fifth grade. Like I had no doubts about that. Either that or they've been held back and they don't belong in a second and third grade girls volleyball league. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, my friend. I know you uh, spent a lot of time working towards that championship. So it was never- painful mm-hmm. and I took it out on a, an unfortunate family sitting next to us at dinner last night and uh-huh. something that completely embarrassed my family that I'll have to share further in today's Where Are We At in Society. Oh, no. That's coming up at 12.50, where Trey really did what he always does, and that's embarrassed those around him. But the fact that we're getting a full segment out of it tells me that it's going to be a good story. So Another Larry <laughs> David moment out of me. My wife afterwards even said, <laughs> I, somebody needed to warn me that I was marrying Larry David <laughs> a decade ago. Uh, curb your enthusiasm. You're living it in real life, it sounds like. And, and so is your family. All right, man. Plenty of sports to get into today between now and uh, where are we at at the end of the hour. We'll start with some Texas Longhorn football, of course. We'll go around the Big 12. We'll talk some Cowboys. We'll talk some Texans. Plenty to get into today and throughout the week right here on Trey and BK. But the Longhorns, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, they find a way. To get it done, 33-30 to 30 in overtime over Kansas State. The Texas defense steps up, gets the big fourth down stop to preserve the win. Everybody knows by now, but the Longhorns had a 20-point lead going into the final play of the third quarter. They gave it up. K-State tied the game, forced overtime. But ultimately, when Texas needed to step up the most, they were able to step up. They keep the win. But they get the win, and they keep their Big 12 championship hopes alive. Trey, that game had a little bit of everything, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, the Longhorns found themselves victorious. Yes, and real quick before I forget this, because we did just get this email, and I will forget it otherwise, we now know the kickoff time for the Longhorns game at Iowa State on November 18th. That's going to be a 7 o'clock kick. So not crazy about that, because that likely means it's going to be pretty cold. At kickoff time, and not to say that's going to be the ultimate excuse, but that can cause a team to start a little bit more slowly than they might otherwise because they're freezing their asses off on the field. So yeah. 7 o'clock kick for the game in Ames, and it is a uh, 6.30 kick in Fort Worth this weekend. But as far as this last Saturday's game goes, BK, I mean, the bottom line is survive in advance. You win this game. 
You now have your best record since 2009, and that matters for something. By the same token, I know Steve Sarkeesian just met with the media and gave an update on Quinn Ewers. He has now gone from week to week to day to day. This team needs Quinn Ewers if they're going to win a Big 12 championship or have a shot at making it to the college football playoff. I don't know if that's this weekend or maybe it's heading into that game in Ames or maybe it's the final week of the year, uh, final game of the year against Texas Tech here in Austin, a game that Brett Yormark will be attending until he tests positive for COVID a couple of days beforehand. Um, Malik Murphy was great early on. And I thought the, the opening game plan was great, even though they really didn't run it a whole lot because they were operating off of play action. Unfortunately, after that first quarter, there was a lot that was left to be desired with this passing game. And I'm sure Kansas State changed some things up and uh, maybe the threat of pressure got to Malik Murphy as well. But it was a tale of two quarterbacks. And, and when he's good, he looks great. When he's bad, it is atrocious to the degree that I'm not sure what he's doing out there at times, just throwing balls up that end up getting intercepted. We've now seen two examples of this over his first two games. The BYU game early on, they had an interception. that was just an inexcusable throw. You got to eat that one. Well, look, young quarterbacks make mistakes. You don't want to see your quarterback make a mistake like that again, where he's basically just trying to avoid getting hit by throwing the football away and just throwing it to green grass where there's a defender there. That same thing happened against Kansas State this last weekend. So that is a little bit concerning right now. However, uh, the run game continuing to show that it gets the job done, even without that touchdown run by C.J. Baxter. The backs average five yards a carry. Jonathan Brooks fighting through an injury throughout the game. One of the better games in terms of run blocking for this offensive line as well. And while the defense certainly had uh, some forgettable moments, they also uh, were up to the task when it's all said and done, even after the offense uh, completely shat the bed with their possession in the first overtime and had to settle for that field goal. The defense, which has been the biggest reason to believe in this football team all year long, once again proved that uh, it has gotten things back on track when it absolutely needs to. Yep. Malik Murphy. I'll say this. Second career start going up against the top 15 defense in college football. And K-State had given up a total of three points in its last two games combined top 15 scoring defense in the country. That's a really, really good unit with a lot of talented players on that side of the ball. All that being said, now let's call it like we need to call it. Malik Murphy almost single-handedly lost Texas that game on Saturday. Yeah. Um, two turnovers. Should have had four or five, yeah. right? I mean, K-State dropped two interceptions that were literally thrown right to them. And the like, same thing happened in the BYU game too. So, yeah. yeah. And not, not like, oh, that would have been an amazing play if that guy would have came down with the interception. No, the balls were thrown right to him, and that's why those guys play defense and not offense, those types of plays. Um, and just inaccuracy. Like, Trey, I counted. I went back and rewatched this yesterday, and I'll probably watch it again today. There were six, maybe seven, wide-open receivers that Malik Murphy just missed. Yeah. Not like, oh, no, they had like a half yard of separation and a good throw turns into a completion. No, like the receiver had yards, uh, plural, of separation. And Malik made the right read. He just couldn't put the ball in the numbers or on the knees or on the feet. Any, like, nowhere close. He was underthrowing guys. He was throwing behind guys. He was short-arming it. And you talked about the O-line. The O-line was great. Malik Murphy did not get sacked one time. He only got hit 
two or three times the whole game. This was not, he had pressure in his face all day long, and that explains why he wasn't accurate. No, he just, literally, it looked like they'd replaced Malik Murphy with me after the first quarter. Because you said it, in the first quarter, he looked amazing. And Texas fans were like, hey, Quinn Ewers, you could sit out the rest of the year, bud. We're fine. We got the best quarterback on our team, and he's playing right now. And then it's like they replaced him with an impractical joker or something. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you go out there and play quarterback the rest of the – he just forgot how to play. I, I've never seen anything that dramatic to where, yeah, 7 of 11 in the first quarter for 152 yards and a touchdown, 12 of 26 for 96 yards and two picks the rest of the way. That's 3.7 yards per attempt. Iowa would think that's bad quarterback play. I mean, it was horrible, 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 horrible. So, look, I'll give Malik some credit. When the game got 27-27, he led Texas on a field goal drive, which they absolutely needed, and he made a couple of good throws there. Fine. It wasn't all, all bad for Malik Murphy, but that guy damn near single-handedly allowed Kansas State to get back into that football game, and he damn near cost Texas the win. Thankfully, uh, the guys around him were able to step up and pick him up and do enough to preserve the victory. Yeah, Texas is lucky that Kansas State just completely lost its shit with its field goal unit. Over oh. the course of 10 minutes or whatever it was, missing a, a short field goal. A kicker was pretty good, too. And then also the botched snap on the extra point. Like, if either of those two things happen, then we're staring down the barrel of a loss to a Kansas State team that was ranked, but a game that was well in hand through a quarter. Heck, even into the third quarter. You felt pretty good about your chances to win, and then less than four minutes later, Kansas State is... Scored three touchdowns, <laughs> totaling 20 points to tie the game up. That was the quickest turn of events I've ever seen. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team overcome a 20-point deficit that fast. Right? It's not like it took K-State like a half of football to overcome the 20-point deficit. Literally, like the last play of the third quarter, they started it. And by the time there were like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, they were tied. It was just a comedy of errors by Texas and you, know, you give K-State some credit. They obviously made the plays that they needed to make to get back into that game. But holy shit, like Texas Texas had some adversity in the first half. They had a punt block at, at the end of the half, and that could have been like, oh, stuff's going to spiral out of control for Texas. They gave up the punt block. K-State scored the touchdown. And you're like, man, this could be 24 to nothing at halftime, and instead it's 17 to 7, and ah, shoot, we missed out. But Texas responded. Like unlike the Houston game where they just they could not turn the tide at all, they turned the tide and extended the lead. And they got it to 27-7, to right? Ethan Burke with the big strip sack fumble turns into the Brooks touchdown. They get another field goal. They're up by 20, and it's like, oh, okay, we overcame that. That's great. We're coasting to a victory. And then it's just one thing after another, man. Uh, the, the, the worst chain reaction of all time, just a brutal snowball turned into an avalanche that got to Texas. I mean, that was just uh, remarkable how quickly things completely collapsed and i guess the bright side is they were able to stem the tide enough to force overtime feels like a tom herman team loses that game by 10 in regulation yeah, doesn't even get to overtime so it's it steps in the right direction another example of a step in the right direction for this program but god just uh what a what a collapse over that like five or six minutes worth of game time to allow k-state right back into the game and they got to be kicking themselves too even though they were down by 20 at one point on Saturday, they got to be mad up there in Manhattan that they let one get away because they had their chances too down the stretch and they couldn't get it done. Minus shot number 
Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, they did. And I, I mentioned this in the uh, Texas Sports Unfiltered group text. The team that sucks less down the stretch is going to win this game. And Texas, to their credit, they sucked less. Yeah. Climbing a lot. I mean, people agree that Chris Kleiman is one of the better coaches in this conference. He failed his team on Saturday. He made a yeah. series of bad decisions that cost his team. Now, some of it was on execution, and he doesn't, you know, he only has so much say so in his team's ability to snap the football and kick extra points, right? Or the ability to kick a short field goal, but you look at how that game was playing out. There was no reason for him to trust his team's ability to get one over on the Texas defense versus trusting his team's ability, given another opportunity and a full set of downs to do better than what the Texas offense was capable of at that point in time in OT. Yeah. And, and the TV announcers were talking about it too, right? Like Gus and Joel, cause there was a timeout that I think Texas called before the uh, fourth and goal play at the end. And Joel's like, man, I get it. You're the road team. You're the underdog. Normally, you want to go for the win in a spot like this. But, you know, K-State was so much better in the second half of this football game. And Malik Murphy was just so bad. It's like, no, put the ball back in his hands and let him make you a mistake again to get your team a chance to win. Like, I, I thought it was crazy. Now, I was still nervous as hell when K-State's offense stayed on the field for that fourth down because, you know, at this Texas secondary, it feels like anything is possible there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, it was uh, – that wasn't a hindsight is 2020 move for Chris Kleiman. Like that was, that was the wrong decision because even though his team was the underdog going in, they, they were the better team. Once again, down the stretch, you don't make that decision when you're playing as well as you are. And when the other team is playing as poorly as they are. Yeah. Those decisions are never black and white. It's, it's all relative to everything else that had happened up to that point. And while your offense had had more success in the second half of that game and really in the fourth quarter of that game, um, the Texas defense is the unit that you give more credit to between the yeah. Texas offense and the defense at that point in time. So it just felt like Chris Kleiman didn't have a good pulse on the game. You try and help elevate your team to victory by giving them one more shot. But I, that was definitely one of those moments where he needed to try and kick the field goal to live to see another OT, I guess, as they say. Yeah. 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 Well, let's hear from Steve Sarkeesian. You talked about the Texas defense, man. And look, K-State got a lot of points in the second half, but they had a 12 yard drive. For a touchdown, they had a 32-yard drive for a touchdown and held the one first-half score K-State had, came after a block punt, and they started that drive in Texas territory. So uh, a lot of points, but overall, I thought the Texas defense played pretty well. The two big things, the pass rush and the takeaways, here's Sark talking about both of those from after the game on Saturday. Sport, you know, as, as you do something well, and and then you, you do it well again, and then again, you start to build confidence. And with confidence, you start to play a little bit more free, um, and I thought our pass rushers today rushed. You know, they felt comfortable rushing uh, when, when they got their opportunities. Um, and I think in coverage, I think we've continued to build confidence, staying sticky in coverage. Um, you know, Mookie Taft, three straight weeks, man, what an interception he had today. Um, so, again, we got to continue to attack the football defensively. Um, what, what, a, what a huge play that was, getting the sack fumble giving us the ball on the five and scoring right there and, and taking advantage of that. Um, 
And but but I do think that the, those two things are tied together, and they got to both have responsibility. We want to play tight in coverage. Well, we got to have the ability to get home, right? If we want to get home, we got to be tight in coverage, right? Th- those two things have to be you know on the same string. And um, I think that with confidence as the years gone on, that we're able to do that. Um, then, then at the critical moments, then guys can really go cut it loose like they're able to at the end of the game. So there you go. There's Sark, and he's right. I mean, this this pass rush was great on Saturday, and we we've known how good the defensive tackles are. We've seen that all year long. I, I think Texas has the best D tackle tandem in the country, but I think it goes beyond tandem because when you throw Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton into the mix, I just think Texas has the best D tackle room in college football. Trey, when the edges are playing like they did on Saturday, this is the best defensive line in college football. Like when Ethan Burke is eating the way that he did, Baron Sorrell had a great game too. Pops, if you're watching today, tip of the cap to you. Your son was uh, magnificent on Saturday. The the Texas D-line was dominant against one of the best O-lines in the country. Not just the conference, in the country. And for those guys to play that way, if Texas keeps doing that on the defensive front, yeah, it's going to overcome some of the issues they have on the back end. It's going to create turnovers, and it's going to keep leading the Texas wins. I thought the D-line was really, really good a couple days ago. Yeah, getting Ethan Burke back closer to full strength is a big deal, and they're able to play Anthony Hill more traditional linebacker. I don't totally agree with that, but when everybody else is playing like that, it affords you the opportunity to do some other things with Anthony Hill and try and allow him to grow into that position a little bit more. And I think throughout the course of the season, he has done a pretty darn good job of that. And it does also help to hide some of the inefficiencies in that secondary. And those things, unfortunately, were still evident this last weekend, BK. Terrence Brooks, man, what a roller coaster ride of a season he's having. Another really bad passing touchdown given up. The safety's left a lot to be desired. Look, I know Michael Taff is a right place, right time guy. But part of that is him late getting over into his spot whenever the ball's being thrown to a receiver. And like the ball just pops up perfectly into into his numbers. And he catches the, I mean, credit to him, I guess, for catching the ball because we saw Kansas State not do that several times on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But like grades-wise, PFF doesn't have Michael Taft graded out incredibly well, even though he does have the, uh, the turnovers from the weekend. Jaron Thompson played another up and down game. Derek Williams, without question, is the best safety that Texas has to put on the field right now. And I know uh, Sark said a little bit earlier that Jalen Catalan is back to practice this week. Okay, he'll be back for another quarter or two before he's back in the medical tent on the sidelines, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he gives you one other option that keeps you from having to play a a Jaron Thompson or a Keaton Crawford at safety, I guess, at times. But Ryan Watts had some uh, deficiencies in coverage. He went down at one point. It looked looked like he had been shot in his hamstring from the UT Tower And he's back in there a series or two later. I'm not sure what the hell was going on there. When he was down grabbing like that, I'm like, oh, great. He just re-aggravated the hamstring injury. He's going to be out for another three to four weeks. But was that him faking it? I'm still not totally sure what happened. Maybe they asked Sark about that after the game. and He was able to clarify. But uh, the secondary is is a liability at this point. And fortunately for Texas, they don't face another good passing attack the rest of the way unless they make it to the Big 12 championship game. TCU's not very good. Iowa State is atrocious through the air. The young guys that they have playing quarterback are not very good. That was on display again this last weekend in the loss to Kansas. Texas Tech, I mean, they are more of a, uh, they're a better team running the football right now than they are throwing it, which is understandable, by the way. I mean, they're playing the third string quarterback at this point. 
And if you uh, get to the Big 12 championship game against what looks like Oklahoma State right now, like Alan Bowman is a capable thrower. They change their offense up to cater to his strengths a little bit more. But they're obviously a run-dominant team as well with Ollie Gordon III doing what he is right now too. So this problem may not even be that big of an issue yep. at the end of the regular season or maybe even through the Big 12 championship game. At some point, you're going to play another good passing team, though, uh, or at least I assume you are if you win out. And uh, if that's in the college football playoff semifinal, you run the risk of being seriously embarrassed unless you can figure some of these things out. Yeah, the secondary is banged up right now, but it's not good. Injuries are not. It's just not good enough right now. Once again, uh, it was better on Saturday, and K-State's point total was inflated because of offensive and special teams turnovers and issues. Yeah. But uh, it's still a problem. But you said it. I mean, Josh Hoover at TCU, 10th in the Big 12 in passing efficiency. Rocco Becht, Iowa State's quarterback. Yes, that's a real person. Uh, seventh in the Big 12 in passing efficiency. Baron Morton, Texas Tech, should be back by then. Uh, he's eighth in the conference in passing efficiency. Alan Bowman, Oklahoma State's quarterback, who you mentioned. And right now, Oklahoma State is in line to make it to the Big 12 title game. Hell, they're in a better position than Texas. Both teams are tied at 5-1. and one. Oklahoma State has the tiebreaker over OU, Kansas, and Kansas State. Uh, mm. Texas, of course, has the tiebreaker over the two Kansas schools not so much over the Oklahoma school. So uh, Alan Bowman, 11th in the Big 12 in passing efficiency this year. So it's like, no, Will Howard hasn't been awesome this year. He kind of got benched a little bit for Avery Johnson when they brought him in. Uh, but he's he's the best guy Texas has on the schedule in the month of November and maybe even early December too. Texas may be fortunate that Kansas State was so insistent on establishing the run in the first half, and they weren't throwing it a whole lot. Like, that worked to the Longhorns' advantage. Because once Kansas State was forced to throw it a little bit more, Will Howard was was getting into a rhythm. And that's with Kansas State not really having a whole lot of threats on the outside. We talked about it last week. Uh, they have a smallish kid who plays a lot of slot who, uh, who did pretty well for them. And they also have that H-back tight end, uh, Senate? Senate, yeah. Senate, who... Um, uh, what a unique-looking player he is. But he's a solid pass catcher as well. But it's not like Kansas State is rolling out a Tyler Lockett or a Malik Knowles this year. I mean, they are, they're are pretty pedestrian at wide receiver. But even that average group uh, made the Longhorn secondary look foolish at times. Let me tell you, if Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator for Kansas State instead of Colin Klein, we'd probably lose that by two touchdowns because Leach yeah. is like... Yeah, I'm not running into that defense. No, thank you. I'm just going to throw it 60 times against that secondary, and we're going to win this football game here. Well, it's like even in overtime, I feel like, or there, maybe it wasn't overtime. Maybe it was a fourth down play where they, I mean, they ran it straight up the middle on this Texas defense on like a fourth and one or fourth and two. It's like, what the hell do you think you're doing right now? Yes. A unit has been dominant all day long. Like, Use your eyeballs and do something a little bit different there. I don't care if it's throw. Maybe you try and run it outside. I don't think that was a great idea either necessarily. Like it was almost, it wasn't a give up play because they're obviously trying to pick up those yardage, but it was, um, it left a lot to be desired. If I'm a Kansas State fan, I'm a little bit frustrated by what I saw on Saturday, despite the team fighting its ass off to come back and getting some timely turnovers, a couple of interceptions from Murphy and even that fumble from Jonathan Brooks. It felt yeah. like you let an opportunity slip through your fingers there. It's tough for K-State. Like, I don't disagree with you, but running the football is what they do. Right. Like, they were fifth in the country in rushing going into the game. They averaged 225 on the ground. So, like, I would understand Kleiman and Colin Klein being, like, one yard with this offensive line. 
You've got four guys averaging more than five yards a carry on the ground. Like, I, I get it that they kept trying to, but I'm glad they did because those were wasted plays for them. Every time K-State ran the football, QB run, running back run, whatever, uh, they were wasted plays because they weren't doing anything. They averaged less than two yards a clip on Saturday. So that uh, just shows you how dominant the Texas defensive line was. Yeah, Tavondre Sweat, as our guy CB says, First round pick. He's playing like it right now. He's uh, the best defensive tackle in the country. I feel bad. He almost had that interception too on the last play of the game. David Benda's dumbass decided to run into him. Hey, it, it didn't matter either way. A bat down is just as good as an INT there. But how many chances is Devondre Sweat going to have in an interception playing defensive tackle at 300,400 pounds? That's not a number. Uh, <laughs> he had one and then his own teammate ran into him causing him to lose it. Uh, but Devontae Sweat's been great. Byron Murphy's been great as well. Speaking of great, got my Olipop today. That's mm. great. The classic grape, my favorite flavor right now of Olipop. If you haven't tried this stuff yet, you are missing out. The Bucks a believer, Chips a believer. Trey, have you had some Olipop yet? Had the root beer this weekend. Delicious. Trey's a believer. Big root beer snob. And this uh, this Olipop root beer, it, it meets the standard, exceeds the standard. Love that. Love that. Yeah, it tastes just like the soda that you love, but it's actually good for you. Uh, inside of every can, a blend of seven unique botanicals, plant fibers, and prebiotics. You're getting nine grams of fiber in every can, only two to five grams of sugar in every can. Most importantly, the taste. That's, that's what you want. You want something that tastes like soda. Olipop tastes just like soda. You've got all the flavors, all the classic flavors, plus some new ones as well. And it's also good for you. So pick it up at HEB, Target, Walmart, Whole Foods, Costco, wherever you buy your groceries, you can find that cans or the four packs of Olipop. This stuff is a total game changer. Okay. Uh, what else from this game? I guess we can go around the Big 12 real quick. And sure. we can kind of tie this back to Texas and uh, K-State. But um, three massive games in this conference on Saturday. One in Austin, one in Stillwater, one in Ames, Iowa. And, well, we had a couple of underdogs win the other two games. Oklahoma State in the last ever Bedlam knocks off OU. I'll give you credit. You got that one right. And you are now up a game on me in our season-long pick'em contest. That was the one game we had different this week. I just bet on history, man. I bet on Oklahoma winning Bedlam because they always win Bedlam. But uh, not so fast, my friend. Oklahoma State behind big Ollie Gordon, their stud running back who leads the nation in rushing right now. They get the win in the last ever Bedlam. And OU, since that Texas game, Trey, one and two, their one win came against UCF, who hasn't won a conference game yet. UCF, UCF team that went for two to try and tie it up near the end of regulation. Yep, in the last minute, like Oklahoma had to hold on for dear life to get that win, and then obviously back-to-back -back losses for the Sooners. They lost in Lawrence last weekend. They lose in Stillwater this weekend. Not seeing too many shirts or tattoos coming out of Norman, Oklahoma right now. Uh, what a golden opportunity that they had to make the playoff or at least make it to the Big 12 championship game. They've completely squandered it right now. But Oklahoma State... Team that lost to South Alabama 33 to 7 at home in the non-con all of a sudden has the uh, the clearest path to the Big 12 championship right now. What a total turnaround for Mike Gundy and his squad. Yeah, and a lot of the attention is going to be on Ollie Gordon as it should, but Mike Gundy and his offensive staff made a concerted effort to do some different things with this offense in terms of how they throw the football. 
to help Alan Bowman out. And it has worked. If you look at his numbers these last few games, he has been much improved. I know you mentioned the uh, quarterback efficiency throughout the course of the season. Those numbers don't look good, but take Saturday, for instance, 28 of 42, 334 yards. Now he didn't have any touchdowns, but he also took care of the ball. He didn't have any interceptions. Oklahoma State did have one interception on an ill-advised halfback pass from Ollie Gordon, of all people. But the Oklahoma State defense also did a really good job of forcing turnovers, too. Dylan Gabriel throws a pick. He has another fumble uh, that is recovered by the Cowboys, and they forced a second fumble, too, that uh, that flipped the field to the advantage of the Cowpokes. And give them credit for fighting hard in this very last edition of Bedlam with both teams in the same conference. And despite the fact that the history of this series, they get clobbered year in and year out, much like with Texas against Texas A&M, uh, they get the final laugh, and we'll get to hold that over Sooners fans' heads until these two teams meet on the field again. And if I'm Oklahoma State, I'm like, nope, we're not playing again, like ever. Seriously, George Costanza, go out on the high note. Like, yep. it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, we're ending on that one right there. That's going to be the last ever bedlam. You know, blame OU. You guys left the conference. It's y'all's fault. And OU's like, but we want to play again. Nah, nah, y'all left. <laughs> y'all left. We're not playing again. Uh, speaking of getting clobbered, how about that OU receiver who literally got tackled? I mean, that, that's one thing Texas and Oklahoma fans can bond over this year is how the officials are just repeatedly screwing both teams. Uh, OU got jobs, like on their field goal drive. They should have had a first down and goal inside the five-yard line where a touchdown and an extra point would have given them the lead in the fourth quarter. They don't get the call. They settle for three. Uh, and then, look, Oklahoma got another chance. They got the ball back, and they turned it over on downs. That's to uh, what you talked about with that Oki Light defense stepping up and making some big plays down the stretch. But, shit, that, that like, come on. You can be the biggest OU hater in the world. You got to acknowledge that the refs just completely missed that pass interference call, and that was uh, a big one at that spot in the game. Pass interference may be this year's holding for Texas and Oklahoma because last year – collectively texas and ou had big 12 opponents called for one hold that was the 10 yards was actually penalized steve sarkeesian brought this up in his monday presser a few minutes ago xavier worthy for as good as he's been this year and we've seen times where pass interference shouldn't should have been called against the opposition because they were clearly beat he hasn't had one pass interference called on his defender so far in big 12 play that is absurd because there were I think at least two examples in the Kansas State game this last week. And I remember one in particular that was egregious. Yep. I feel like there was another one, too. And I feel like there's an example like that just about every game this year in conference play. Well, to back up your point, Trey, how about some numbers? Texas has played six Big 12 games this season. There's been one pass interference penalty called on a Texas opponent. And that happened against Baylor. So it's five straight games the Longhorns have played without a single P.I. called on an opponent. And Texas has one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country, yeah. dude. Uh, yeah, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, J.T. Sanders, you could throw him in there, Jordan Whittington. None of those guys have been grabbed. None of those guys have been interfered with once in five games. Give me a break. Those are the two, holding and pass interference. Those are the subjective ones. You can't just look at the overall penalty numbers and say, oh, they were pretty close. How are you complaining about the refs? You got to call false starts, dude. Yeah. You can't not call those. You got to call offsides. Like there are certain calls that you absolutely have to make to at least make it look like you're trying to officiate a fair game. But those are the two where if you're a ref, 
or if you're Brett Yormark, you could tell the refs, to, hey, let's uh, let's maybe screw Texas and Oklahoma on these, huh? If there's a questionable 50-50 hold, let's, let's keep the flag in the pocket. There's a P.I., well, unless they tackle the receiver. Actually, no, even if they do tackle the receiver, let's just say their feet got tangled up, and that's why the receiver fell down. Like, those are the two where things can get dicey, and, I mean, a, a blind man could see some of these P.I.s that are being missed right now. Our guy Blind Sean. I don't know if the YouTube is working too well for that guy, but hopefully on the app he's tuned in. He can see what's going on with the officiating right now. So if you're Texas, you want to win these games by enough points to where the officials don't matter, right? When it's 27 to seven against K state, it's like shit refs will not be a factor. We're good. And unfortunately you let uh, another team back into it. So you have to focus on some calls a little bit more than you would like, but realistically you're going to play close football games this year. And Texas hasn't had that backbreaking call cost them just yet, but three games left. Three opportunities for Brett Yormark and his crew to make sure that uh, Texas doesn't make it to the Big 12 championship game because you know that's what they're looking for. Thanks to CB for calling our attention to this one, too. This comes courtesy of C.J. Vogel of the Football Brainiacs. Sark said about 40 minutes ago that he believes Texas has the two most dominant interior defensive linemen in the country this year. I think it's a fair argument for that. Neither has had a holding called against them this year. And we've seen photographic evidence, too, by the way, people yeah. posting on Twitter of these guys basically being in um, headlocks or having having that arm, that offensive lineman's arm around their neck, despite the fact that they're past the, the offensive lineman and nothing gets called. There have been four holds called on Texas opponents in Big 12 play. Two of those penalties were declined. And then the one against K-State was offset by the uh, Ryan Watts late hit out of bounds 15 yard penalty which a lot of texas fans are mad about that 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 was that was probably the right call like if you if you hate the if you're mad at that you hate the rule but they're always going to protect the quarterback and watts barely touched him and there was a little flop job by james harden howard there <laughs> but uh i'm not i'm not as upset with that one as i think a lot of texas fans were ryan watts you're a senior dude the guy's a yard out of bounds don't do that that was third down Kept the drive alive, too, for K-State in the second half when they were mounting their comeback. Uh, I'm more mad at the player for that one, but it is hilarious that that was on the same play where they actually did call a hold on K-State. I'm with you, too, by the way. If you're Ryan Watts, you have to know better than that. He's going out of bounds. Even if you didn't hit him that hard, it actually looked like you hit him pretty hard, especially because he gave a good flop. Academy Award goes to Will Howard on that play, but you can't leave it to chance like that. Yep. And if he hadn't uh, made that late hit, then it would have been another uh, another hold called against uh, a Texas opponent for the fifth time all year. Yep. And uh, the last Big 12 game that mattered, how about Kansas going into Ames, Iowa, beating Iowa State? I don't know. If you're a Texas fan, maybe you feel a little bit better about Texas's chances to go win that game up there next weekend, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. But uh, in a night game on the road, Kansas goes in there and beats Iowa State. And I will say this, like Alabama keeps winning, which makes the Texas win look more impressive. Mm-hmm. Kansas keeps winning. They're 7-2. and two. Yeah. So that blowout victory where Texas just ran away and hid from KU in the second half here in Austin a few weeks ago, that's looking more impressive by the week, too. Uh, maybe that should make you feel a little bit better. Like Iowa State's not that good. I don't know how much the transitive property matters in college football. 
teasers say, oh, Texas beat Kansas and Kansas beat Iowa State, which means Texas should beat Iowa State, no problem. But uh, yeah, Iowa State, they're they're not on the level of talent that uh, a lot of these other top dogs in the Big 12 are this year. What they've done has been impressive. But that That's a game Texas should still find a way to win. It is, but you need to also pay attention to what Iowa State's defense did to this Kansas offense, and they forced Jason Bean to beat them. Devin Neal, who is maybe the third best running back in the Big 12 right now, he wasn't very good against Iowa State, who did a great job of bottling him up. They dared Kansas to force Jason Bean to beat them, and he was good enough. I mean, his QBR was a little bit over 90. The, the passing stats were good. He didn't have an interception, had a passing touchdown, too. And they had to get things done through the air. Now, the hope is, is that Quinn Ewers will be back by then. But if he's not, we are going to have to see a more consistent effort out of Malik Murphy for four quarters for Texas to win this game, I have a feeling. Now, they're not going to need to score 22 points like Kansas needed on Saturday. I know they got to 28, but Iowa State had 21, so they needed to get to 22 to win that game. The Texas defense is going to completely shut down this Iowa State offense. Yeah. But if your quarterback is throwing... Sloppy interceptions or turning the ball over in a manner that's flipping the field and making things easier for what is a pretty bad offense or maybe forcing your defense back on the field too quickly where they haven't had the chance to catch their breath. All of a sudden, that's where you see that weird thing happen in sports with a team that very obviously should win the game is having a hard time doing so. Yeah, like you keep playing these close games, then uh, at some point you might uh, you might lose one of them. If Malik Murphy's the starter in that game, I'll, I'll be pretty nervous. I will say that. But uh, assuming Quinn is back, he might be back this week. So uh, it feels relatively safe to assume that he'll be back by next weekend at the latest. Uh, I, I like Texas' chances in that. Uh, SD, SD is mad at us for thinking the Ryan Watts penalty wasn't a penalty. Look, a, a lot of Texas fans were mad that that was called. Uh, I thought it was clearly late I don't, I don't think the question was whether or not it was late i think the question was whether or not he actually hit him hard enough to to throw the flag but will howard was like a yard out of bounds he'd already put a foot down on the sideline so um whatever they called it sucks texas got the win that doesn't suck look when a quarterback is going out of bounds like that even if the foot hasn't gone down you still have to be careful right there you just do yeah, like I, I'm sorry. You have to you have to be smarter about how you're playing that one than Ryan Watts was, especially like you mentioned, BK, a guy who has as much of experience as Ryan Watts does at the college level. You just have to know better than that. Like even if it was a borderline call, again, don't leave it to chance. Yeah, just, but he uh, did, and yep. here, and here and it cost Texas, unfortunately. It did indeed. Code text line five one two 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 nine three two eight. Uh, somebody says there's no next season for you, Trey. If you don't bring home hardware, you don't get the whistle again. Someone's calling you out for not being able to win your daughter's volleyball championship. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. it's it, it was disappointing. But as they told me after the game, those who bestowed the nickname on me, even Nick Saban doesn't win the championship every year. So yeah, go get him next season, coach. That is true. That is true. And then uh, a couple of complaints from some texters about the refs. Somebody says Malik Murphy's first pick was because of a non-call PI. Yeah, we had a John Day Cook siding, but he he fell and or got tripped on the route, and that turned into Malik Murphy's first interception, where even if he didn't fall or get knocked over, there were like four K-State defenders around there. Like, I, I don't know how that play would have ended. It wouldn't have been as easy as a pick as it was for that K-State player, but that, uh, that felt like a bold decision, and if you're a Jonte Cook fan, him falling down on that play probably is not good for you because that means we're not going to see him for the next eight weeks. 
the way Sark handles things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sadly, you're probably right about that. He's just found his way to the bench until his sophomore year. It's nice sure. knowing you, Jonte. Yeah, I hope he hope he stays here for his sophomore year. Goodness gracious. I like I know a couple of people have suggested that Jonte Cook may uh may look into the transfer portal once we get to the end of the season. My guess though, because by all accounts, uh he loves his teammates, his teammates love him, and he also sees that there's gonna be more of a path to the field after this season too, with the likelihood that Xavier Worthy leaves, Jordan Whittington is gone. It's a good chance we see AD Mitchell going to the NFL draft after this season too. I mean, Texas is going to be very inexperienced at wide receiver. And so you will enter the off season as one of the senior most wideouts on this roster. You have some really good or potentially really good quarterbacks to throw you the football too, regardless of whether Quinn Ewer sticks around for another year or also puts his name into the NFL draft. Yeah. It's another uh, discussion about the future of Texas football that we, uh, we need to have at some point, but right now we need to tell you about AV consultations. Actually, we don't. We'll let our guy Tom McKay tell you about AV consultations. Hi, this is Tom McKay with audiovisual consultations. Scientific data proves it. Size does matter. The bigger and wider your television is, the better. Football season is here, and the time is now to get your entire audio video experience tuned up and ready. New flat screens, projection video, Dolby True HD surround, all the goodies at great prices and followed up with great service. So call us at 255-8678. That's 255-8678 or on the web at avconsultations.com. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Shout out to AV Consultations and shout out to Great Blue Heron Furniture as well. GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com. Man, go check out their website. If you're watching on YouTube, you can just click the link in the video description below to find the Texas Sports Unfiltered Collection over there at GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com. Of course, if you're listening on the app, just go to that website and get you a, a gorgeous piece of furniture. A new couch, recliner, chair, ottoman, bar stools, all of the above. If you're looking to uh, spice up your home a little bit, you can do that with a custom leather piece from GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com. I'm telling y'all, you cannot and you will not find more comfortable, more stylish, and more well-built furniture anywhere in the world. This stuff is built to last. Not only does it look great, it's going to last you and your family decades. This is not for you know Johnny going off to college. This is uh, something to keep in your home that you want to last for a long, long time time greatblueheronfurniture.com make sure you use the promo code hook'em and you're going to get 15 percent off your purchase right there on site it's as simple as that many thanks to greatblueheronfurniture.com for partnering with us here on texas sports unfiltered and uh shout out to covert b cave trey fun times on friday ricky williams making his way out to covert bk for our final pregame luncheon of the year we got to do our uh friday show there live as well Covert BK, if you're looking for a new car, truck, or SUV, there's no other place that you need to go. Seven brands, three dealerships, 42 acres out there in BK. They've got a ridiculous selection, phenomenal service, and prices that are second to none. Remember, nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. Didn't get the chance to ask Ricky, though, why he uh, had you blocked on Twitter. We still got to find a way to make that happen, don't we? It's an opportunistic. Just set up an interview. I'll ask him as part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, can't, can't have every name on the team lighting it up. Thanks, SD. SD's in a surly mood today. For what? You're not for USD, but for Texas? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Throws you weirdos. Oh, to get everybody the ball. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, there were plenty of throws to the other team and plenty of throws into the ground by Malik Murphy on Saturday. They threw it 37 times. The problem was too many of those were not ending up in our wide receivers' hands. So I'm going to try not not to hit on this too hard, but for Malik Murphy's to have had 37 throws in that game, for him to have had more throws than Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter had carries, that's pretty fucking frustrating, dude. See, I, I, I disagree with you. I mean, the way it played out, that's fine, and I think more people agree with you than agree with me, but guys were open all day long. Uh, like I, I can't ask for more from Sark. When guys are open, the way Murphy played in the first quarter, and I'm sure Malik Murphy hits those throws in practice, if you want to say you got to have a better feel for the game, the way it's going on, and you got to know your quarterback sucks and run it more, I guess I can listen to that. But I, I, do, I do not think play calling is what allowed Kansas State back into the football game. I just think it was Murphy being bad and Jonathan Brooks fumbling, which he never fumbles. Like he handed it to Jonathan Brooks right after a Murphy interception, and he coughed it up. You can't be mad at Sark for that. Like the players were why this game got super close on Saturday. They just they turned it over too much. Yeah, but I guess to the point that you started to make, you you have to understand what your players are are capable of and what they're not capable of. And clearly, he is overvaluing what Malik Murphy can and will do in a pressure situation right now. Um, yeah. Right now, so. Just recognize that going forward. If it's another pressure situation and the question is whether to entrust Malik Murphy to make a play or maybe to give it to your, to your running backs a few more times, then maybe you can consider the alternative there. Yeah, 37 pass attempts, 37 carries. So it was a, a dead even 50-50 split. If you want to argue there could have been five to eight more rushing attempts for Texas, I will uh, I will listen to it. But I, I thought Sark called a, a pretty good game. You can blame him for special teams, punt, block, you can blame him for some of the pre-snap penalties. Texas had way too many of those. Uh, there are some things you can absolutely be critical of the head coach for, but I think uh, I think Sark's getting a little bit too much heat for for this game getting as close as it did. All right, uh, Trey, you teased a great story for where are we at in society today. Excited to hear how you embarrassed your family once more at dinner last night. Before that, though, I'm going to go live or recorded for our friends at Pest Wranglers today. Let's go recorded. All right. Sponsor. Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest Wranglers. 512-670-7808 or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism as it's all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe Trey is actually right that society is super fucked up and sometimes you just got to call it out. And today is one of those days, BK. <laughs> uh, I like that twist on the introduction there. Well done, my friend. Thank you. I am a big fan of pizza. It's one of my favorite foods, if not my favorite food. Oh, yeah. Pizza's the best. Does anyone not like pizza? Mm, I don't know how many people dislike pizza. Hopefully, that's like less than 1% of the population. But then again, this is 2023, an era where you have people arguing with others that the earth is actually a flat disk. 
So inevitably, there will be some sort of contrarian out there that's saying that pizza is overrated. If you're one of those people, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I feel like even people who are lactose intolerant like pizza. They just get mad that they can't eat it, but they they wish they could. It's that good. We were sitting next to one of those people last night where one of the kids in this family of four is lactose intolerant. So they served up a pie that didn't have any cheese on it. It just had tomato sauce and pepperonis. Okay. I mean, still better than not pizza, but, you know. I don't know. I think the parents are projecting some false intolerance on their kids based on the story that I'm about to have to tell you here. Okay. So my family ate at Spoofalina Duet last night. It is an excellent Neapolitan pizza place on Burnett Road. We go there regularly. We are referred to as regulars by the excellent staff of Bufalina Douay. This is not a story shitting on Bufalina Douay. This is a story uh, that unfortunately has to do with a family who got sat next to us at a communal table. Now, before I get into the details of this, are you familiar with communal dining, BK? Yeah, it's just giant tables with a bunch of seats and, yeah. you know, you find space and you sit there. Kind of like that, right? Some, Yeah, some people d despise the communal table setup. I don't have an issue with it necessarily. Do you care one way or the other? I don't like it. I really don't. Now, it, it's not like, it's not a reason why I won't go to a restaurant, but I would prefer to have my own table or just be at a table with people that I went to dinner with, you know? Yeah, it also depends too. Like if you're trying to shoehorn an extra family into a table that's already half taken up and all of a sudden you're you're starting to get some uh, violations of personal space or elbow space, then I maybe have an issue there. But if there's enough yeah. space or it's a family of four, a table of eight, and two of the people are kids, and so you can slide over a little bit, then it's not that big of an issue. So my family was the first, fam uh, first four sat at this table of eight last night at what is known as a communal table. So we realized there's a likelihood that uh, that two people or maybe three or four people get sat next to us at some point during the meal. And sure enough, about 15 minutes into our meal, a family of four gets sat down. Um, a man, what I assume to be his wife, and then their two kids get sat down next to us. Well, pretty immediately, this family of four, everybody but the dad gets up to go to the bathroom. So the mom and the two kids go to the bathroom. And when they come back, the two kids come back first, and then the mom comes to sit down, and she's sitting on the same side that my son Calvin and I are. And Calvin is sitting closer to where this woman was about to sit back down. Mm -hmm. Where she's sitting down, mind you, she just came from the bathroom. She reaches over and puts a, uh, a bunched-up paper towel legitimately right next to Calvin's plate even though her plate and where she's sitting is a foot and a half away. And Justine and I both see this and we look at one another and I look back over at this woman who, of course, she doesn't make eye contact. She sits back down and starts saying something to her kids. Well, I reach over across my son and I flick this napkin back over to her. This is a used napkin <sighs> that just came with her from the bathroom. Like, what the hell are you doing here, lady? Throw it away. Why is she taking it out of the bathroom anyways? Throw it in the bathroom trash can. I agree. Throw it she, away. And it's not my responsibility to throw away at that point, by the way. You still need to be the one that throws away your own trash, you weirdo. Yeah. And so I flick it back to her, and then my family continues our conversation, our meal, or whatever. And then like five minutes later, I get like a visual acknowledgement from Justine that the napkin is back over 
where it was previously. And I look over and it's right back next to my son's plate. <laughs> Once again, despite the fact that the woman may, needed to make a concerted effort to reach over to put this napkin back over here, put this paper towel back over here. And so she just gives me eyes and I'm like, all right, well, here we fucking go. Larry David moment right here. And so I lean over to this woman. I say, excuse me, is there a reason why this wadded up paper towel ends up right next to my son's plate two different times now? Like, why are you putting this here? And so I didn't realize that what, what her, um, what her ethnic makeup or what her, or her makeup was at the time. But in like in a French accent, she's like, Oh, would this be better for you? And she grabs the napkin and put it, puts it in the middle of her family, like where her family is sitting. I'm like, yeah, that is better for me. Thank you. And so, so at this point, <laughs> Vivian, who's sitting as if, me, as if like, that was a controversial move by her, right? Like as if there was a chance the answer to her question would be no. Like, no, actually not. I'd prefer it on our side. Sorry. Like, she she gave you that? Exactly. Huh. And okay. so at this point, Vivian's like, I'm so embarrassed by dad. And Justine's like, I'm so embarrassed also. I can't believe he just did that. And I'm like, what the fuck? You're the one that was basically pointing out to me that it happened again. And you're clearly upset about this. But you're not upset enough for me to address it to keep it from happening again? Like, I'm not going to throw this woman's trash away for her. She needs to recognize that she was in the wrong here and she needs to do something differently. And so we get through our meal. They eventually get over it. We get back to our conversation. This family, they like eat in a hurry and they leave almost immediately. And the server at Bufalina comes over after they leave and she's like, what happened with that family? I said, why do you ask that? She said, they actually came and found me. One of them got up from the table. I didn't realize this. Came up, uh, got up from the table and came and told me, the family next to us, he's not being very nice. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. So here's what's not being very nice is. And so I explained that whole thing to her. And she laughed and she's like, yeah, the son, like the little boy at one point was messing with the lit candle. And so I basically had to take it away from him. And they asked why I took the candle away from him. I'm like, because you're five-year-old is playing with the lit candle and if he like dumps it over the wax is going to make a huge mess on the table we've dealt with that before and like you weren't being parents there so i basically had to parent for you the waitress said that she she said it in so many words she's yeah. i mean she did it diplomatically like oh i'm sorry but we've had messes made of the candles when the kids are playing with the candles so i just took the candle away not that big of a deal yeah, yeah they tried to wrap me out from being mean to them and it's just like look I'm sorry that you have some strange French witch superstitions that you are trying to partake in at the behest of my family, but take the trash that you made from your trip to the bathroom and keep it to yourself or better yet, throw it away in the garbage can in the bathroom because yeah. what you deem to be acceptable clearly is not. And any attempt to demonize me to change the narrative is only going to look, make you look dumber. You dumb French whore. <laughs> you called her a dumb French horn? What does the instrument have to do with this? No, it was either that or an oboe. I just, uh, I went with, I uh, went with the French horn, you know? For that, that instrument sucks. That's a conversation actually not for another day because hopefully we always have better things to talk about that. That instrument does suck. Yeah, that's a short uh, conversation. The French horn is one of the worst instruments in the band. Yeah, the, the French really haven't done anything right besides the fry. And I've been told the French fry is not even from French or it's, whatever country that is over there. It's not. 
Yeah, so literally they've done absolutely nothing right. I, I do wonder, is that is that culturally acceptable anywhere? Like, is that I a cultural thing? Super, my guess is it's a superstition, like not talking to a pitcher in the middle of the no-hitter. Like How you is that the same? At the patron next to you, and you're supposed to have better luck with your meal or something. Uh, yeah, that's I've never heard anything like that. Like, okay, if you bring the trash back from the bathroom, which still feels weird, but just like throw it on the ground. If yeah. you don't want it on your table, don't put it on someone else's table. Put it on the ground. Like someone's gonna sweep it up, anyways. Like you still shouldn't do that. No, but that's that's better than literally putting it on the table next to you. What a, no, the the what dad a looks completely miserable. The kids look socially incompetent, and I think it all comes down to the mom just being a a complete French witch. As our guy Jason says, how do you constantly run into these weird people in life? Yeah, you've got you've got so many stories like this, like. They exist. I'm just attuned to it, and I'm not afraid to say something to somebody when they're being ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like, you know, not that my son's livelihood was being threatened here, but don't throw trash at my son. Bad because bit. you have some bizarre sense of what's going to create good luck for you with this meal. Jeff Barker of CBS Austin is with us, as he is every Monday from 1 to 3 right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Jeff, I'm not sure how much of that story you caught, but Trey was at dinner last night with his family, communal okay. tables. So they were sat right next to another family. Mom comes back from the bathroom. Not Trey's mom. The mom of the other family comes back from the bathroom. Puts like a wadded up paper towel right by Trey's son's plate on their half of the table. Trey flicks it to the other side. Flicks then the woman, it back like towards her. Wait, to wait and you like for the record, you don't know these people at all. Nope. Don't know them at all. Yeah. Trey flicks it over to their side. She pushes it back. To Trey's family side, right by his son's plate again. And then Trey confronts her and is like, you French horn, stupid <laughs> instrument, bitch woman lady, uh, do better. Yeah, and I probably would have done the same damn thing. Yeah. What the hell is that? Who does that? I, the French, apparently. But Trey, uh, that, that last comment from Jason there about how you always run into these random people, your, your whole life, and I feel like mine is similar to this too, seems to be like an episode of Curb. Jeff, my wife, after it happened last night, and that the other family got up and left, and she said literally these words: "Nobody warned me that I was marrying Larry David." <laughs> not married to Jeff David. Yeah, my my, my fiance says the same thing about us, but she basically says like, "Yeah, you're like Larry David, but not funny." And I'm like, "Oh, thanks." <laughs> just to just to kind of put me in my place. You know who doesn't think Larry David is funny or didn't think Larry David was funny? His ex-wife. <laughs> she said he went through the same embarrassment. He just, he's really good at uh, reframing it for entertainment purposes. But those I'm, real I'm, life awkward interactions, they aren't funny to anybody in the moment. They're just awkward and embarrassing. Like my daughter, God, I've embarrassed her so much throughout her young life. That was the most embarrassed I've ever seen her. And it was completely justified too. It's like 100%. I had to say something or this stupid little game of, of wadded up paper towel soccer is going to just continue until one of us leaves. Yeah, I, I always get the, you don't have to say something. Like, if we're out in public and somebody does something that similar to that, like, Jasmine would look at me and be like, oh, like, kind of give me the, like, please don't. Like, it's just not worth it, like, that one. And then I'm just, like, I'm ready to, like, just go to town. Like, all, you know, button button down, like, let's, let's go. Like, especially something that ridiculous. Like, I've gotten better about the, you don't need to, like, make the comments to people or like, you know, when you're driving, like 
they, they can't hear you. Don't, don't yell to them. You know, like I've gotten better with that stuff, but in that situation, no, you have to say something in that situation. Well, well here's how it goes from my uh, very serious relationship experience. Uh, <laughs> if, if you don't say something, when you get back into the car, the woman's like, why didn't you stand up for me mm-hmm. and our kid? So you just, you just can't win. So yeah, I, I, t- I tip the cap to you guys for uh, actually standing up. To me, that's the better option. You stand up and you deal with the awkwardness or embarrassment versus getting just yelled at for not standing up for your family, which I'm sure every guy has gone through that dilemma a billion times in his life. It's happened to me so much now. Like after it happens, I see the embarrassment on everybody's face and I just start laughing. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like years <laughs> from now, I think we're going to tell this story and it's it's going to have more humorous tone to it when you tell it. I mean, it's going to be funny when I talk about it just because people are going to once again, recognize the absurdity of others, much like the, the dog in the coffee shop story. Like nobody who heard that story thought that that was in the wrong. They may have thought that I was an asshole, but they also understood where I was coming from too because the dog was laid out in the middle of the floor, like in the walkway where I had to walk to just order my coffee. Like that's on the the uh, the owner of that dog. It's not on the dog. I'm not upset with the dog. I'm annoyed with the owner who thinks it's acceptable to treat the coffee shop like it's their living room. 